All right, good morning again. Um, I don't know about you all, but it feels weird to have the, the green Starbucks cups already, right? It's like, we haven't got to Thanksgiving. We don't need christmas E type stuff, but that's the, the season that we're in. Um, you, you notice the, the new artwork. We're, we're beginning the, the second, I guess, sub-series within our overall series of Romans, and we spent the last 10 weeks talking about our problem, talking about the sin, and that's if, I don't know if I ever actually explained the artwork, that was the point of the two cliffs, the separation, because it was our problem. So now, as we get into the, the next three series within Romans, all now focuses on an aspect of God in salvation. And so this, this first part's God's provision as we see and we hear the gospel coming. Now we understand and we'll understand even more today as we talk about justification and what, what that means for the life of the believer. So this, this part two is, is God's provision. As you can see, the cross up there has now appeared. There's hope, but I don't want you to get too excited because we can't completely leave back and leave our problem behind. And so often that's what we do as believers. So often we forget that, that we still had our problem. We still, we forget that we brought our sin to the equation. We forget that, that even though we are with Christ and united with Christ, that at our hearts we're still drawn to sinful desires. And so we can't completely leave our problem behind. But you see, as we move forward, that Paul's shifting his focus from our problem to God's provision. And you'll see that, and it, it carries along the sin with it, but it does so in a positive light. So if you will, look at me. We're going to be in Romans. Look with me at Romans chapter 3. You're already looking at me. You got that? See? Romans chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 21 all the way through the end of the chapter in verse 31. So if you will, follow along with me as we read God's word. In Romans 3.21, Paul writes, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? Is it excluded? By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes of, gen yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. If you will pray with me as we ask the, the Spirit to guide us through our time today. Father God, we come before you, God, and we just pray that your spirit would well inside of us. God, that as we open your truth and we hear your truth and we speak your words, God, we just pray that we would allow your truth to affect us, 
Now that we wouldn't try to mold and shape truth, but we'd allow it to mold and shape us. God, we thank you that though we had our sin as a problem, that you have provided justification through your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. So as we look at this passage today, we're looking at the idea of the, that we're justified freely, but it's in Christ Jesus. So it's justified freely, but it's in Christ Jesus. And to understand that, there's three different aspects of justification that we'll look at, or three ways to understand the process of justification or what's happening there. And first, we'll see that it's apart from works. We'll see that not only is it apart from works, that it's achieved by Christ, and then ultimately it's accepted by us by faith. And as we look at this passage, all three of those avenues become clear. And so when we look at this idea that the the justification is freely given in Christ Jesus apart from the works, or apart from works. And this is where Paul's shifting now into this. He spent two chapters, or we've spent about eight weeks going through this idea that everyone's a sinner, everyone's bad, there's no one that can come out of that. Now Paul starts beginning this transition and says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And what he's saying in there is this shift that, that somehow now this righteousness, justification, those are two, justification and righteousness, justification being innocent, righteous being holy, they're, they're, they're two sides of the same word. It's the same word, but it's two sides of looking at that. And so Paul's saying that this righteousness or this justification of God is now manifest apart from the law. So there's no works that's happening. But when we look at that, we quickly can change what he's meaning. When we look at this idea, the very first two words of verse 21, it says, but now. What we need to understand, there's several things that we need to understand about that. First is that this isn't a new righteousness. This isn't Paul saying that all of a sudden there's this new sense of righteousness. That all of a sudden there's this new idea. It's come now. The old has gone. But there's something more. And what we need to understand that, that while he's not talking about an upgraded righteousness or anything like that, he's, he's talking about the perception of this righteousness is now clearly perceived. It's not, it's not faded, it's not dimly lit as it was as we look through the Old Testament. We see this idea that there's already, um, what, what scholars or theologians say, the already not yet. The, the Old Testament is looking forward to something that hasn't happened yet. Well, now Paul's saying that that righteousness has happened, that it's clearly seen, and it's seen in the person of Christ. And so when we look at Jesus Christ, we see the person of Jesus Christ, we see that now the righteousness of God is manifested. We see it clearly. We don't have to wonder how it's happening. We don't have to wonder where it is, what it looks like. We see it. It's perceived. It made me think of all those videos that you see of, of artwork that, that if you twist it one way, it looks completely distorted. But if it's the right perception, then it's great. You might have seen it on the street art stuff where it's like the, the street's like falling out and you look on the other side and it's like 40 foot long and it has nothing. That's kind of what we're talking about. It's like the Old Testament, as we're looking at the righteousness of God, that God's going to provide this salvation. The Old Testament people were looking at it from the side view. You see this long extent, it doesn't make sense. And now when Christ has come and we see him, it's like everything has shifted now and the perception lines up perfectly as it was intended. So it's not a new righteousness. It's clearly perceived righteousness that's been there the entire time. He's not saying that God's all of a sudden doing something else. And that's the next thing that we need to understand, that not only is it not a new righteousness, it's not a new salvation. This is not plan B. 
Christ wasn't plan B because everything else didn't work. It was always the plan before the foundation of the world, as Paul writes in Ephesians. So when we see Jesus, we see that the full plan before our eyes that has always existed, it's not a new righteousness, it's not a new salvation that's happened. It's always been by faith. Salvation's always been by faith. This summer we went through parts of Genesis where we looked at the, the life of Abraham. Genesis 15, 6. It says what? Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. He believed God. And we like to look at Abraham. Abraham's a great example because he just, he's the, the one by faith, right? But if you look at all of the people in, in Hebrews 11, by faith they did all these things. It was the faith that's focused there. It's not their actions. It wasn't salvation through that, but they believed. They had faith that what God said would happen would happen. And even says that at the end of Hebrews 11, right? That, that although they didn't receive what was promised, they still endured these things. So it's not a new salvation. It's not new righteousness. We see in Habakkuk 2.4 that the righteous shall live by faith. And what Paul's connecting here was this idea that it's always been this way. That our justification is freely offered in Christ, and it's always been that way. And it's manifested apart from the law or apart from works. And that's the hardest thing for us now to understand. Because we live in a culture that tells people just work hard and everything will finish, will fix itself. Right? Just just do the right thing, work harder than everyone else, and you'll get recognized. The problem is it's not true. Because there's so many people that have worked harder and someone's stolen their idea, presented it, and they get the credit for it, right? It's so hard for us to understand that this is apart from the works, that we can't justify ourselves or our existence or our life by anything that we do, at least not in a lasting manner, right? That so often we try to do these things that, that provide us comfort and security, salvation, if you will, but they don't last. And what we need to understand is that this justification that we all so desperately seek, that we all just inside us, we want to justify why we're doing what we're doing, we want to justify who we are, we want to prove maybe where you've been or what you're doing, but so often we forget that we can't do that. And so what Paul's saying is that the righteousness of God, this justification through faith, is manifested apart from the law. It's apart from the works that you can do. It's something separate. It's something different. It's not new, but it's different than that. It's not how you achieve it. But so often we get stuck in that. So ask yourself, are you justifying your life by your decisions? Is in the back of your mind every decision that you make, whether it's a a family decision, whether it's a personal, a relationship decision, a career decision, is it by somehow in the back of your mind in a way to justify who you are, to justify your existence. Because we have these times when it pops up. I'm thinking that, 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 that this time next year, I'm supposed to have my 20th high school reunion, right? I better be able to, you, so you start thinking, what have I done in 20 years that makes me not the weird guy that I was 20 years ago, right? How am I going to justify myself? But what we have to understand is that it doesn't matter how people perceive us because we can't, we can't control that anyways. That we're not justified by what we do. My life doesn't need justification in what I do because I've gained justification and understanding in Christ. And it's been freely offered. 
So I don't have to go about working because that righteousness has been manifested apart from that. Right? And now you see it. That's what makes the person of Christ so amazing. That if you'll just clearly see who he is, you find everything that you're longing for. If you look at the person of Christ that the, the scripture paints, you see a justification, you see a righteousness that's freely offered and clearly perceived if we would just submit our lives to that. We don't have to justify ourselves because you can't, right? It's kind of going back to that idea last week that, that you can't give evidence for yourself, right? When we were talking about just sometimes we need to shut up. Part of that is stop trying to justify yourself, right? So just stop because you can't do it anyways. And what an amazing thing that that righteousness, that justification has been manifested apart from the works. You don't have to do anything because you can't. Right? That doesn't exist in our world, right? It doesn't exist outside of Christ. And so then we start looking at this again and we start seeing that not only is the justification apart from works, but it's also achieved by Christ because your next question, if you're looking at it and that it's by works, then it's, well, how is it possible, right? If I can't do it, how is it possible? Right? That's the next logical question. You might have been thinking that. I know I was. Okay, so what's the point then? And then we get this amazing paragraph if you start in verse 22. You get this amazing paragraph that's, that's deep, and sometimes it's so deep that we shy away from it, right? Like you don't want to walk next to it because you might fall in, and then you don't know what to do. But we have to look at this. We shut down at this because so often we find it hard to rest in the works of someone else because there's so many times when people have said that they would do things for us and that they failed to live up to those standards. And so we naturally approach Christ the same way. We naturally approach Christ and say, well, you said you're going to do this, but how can I trust you? But what Paul's saying here is that we don't have any other option. That we're justified through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. That's what you see in verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. The righteousness, this justification is through faith in Christ for all who believe. And what we need to understand there is faith in Christ is that faith is not what saves us. Faith binds us to Christ. Christ is who saves us. But apart from faith in Christ, we're not unified with him. We're not united with him. We're not bound to him. And so salvation doesn't come apart from faith in Christ. It has to be there. It's not the faith that saves you, though. It wasn't the faith that saved Abraham. He believed that God would do what he said. Our faith that Christ did what he, that we see. It's clearly perceived. And that achieved that salvation that we so desperately needed. But it's also universal, right? That all who believe, for there's no distinction, right? Because all have sinned. It's a universal in its offering, this justification that's achieved by Christ alone is universal for all people because all have sinned. And so it applies to everyone. There's no one that's going to get out of this. You're either in Christ or you're in your sin. And then we need to look at what Paul says in verses 24 and 25. And that's where we get wading into the deep waters. Okay? And, and I'll be honest, you don't like to, I don't like to sometimes because you get these words and you're like, what in the world? Can't we have a simple word, right? I get that all the time in the discussion questions. Like, why is it deep? And I'm like, I didn't think it was. But we're going deep, just so bear with me, 
all right? Just, just bear with me. We've got to wade into the deep stuff to see the amazing reality of what Paul's writing here. Because this, these 24 and 25, really this whole, is, is like the, the culmination of amazing paragraph of Scripture right here. So we'll read those, and then we'll talk about them in Paul's order. So in 23, to get context, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then 24, and all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance. He had passed over former sins. And we get some words in there that you don't want to talk that, Right? Just, why can't we just have like the Cliff Notes version, right? Is that what you want? Yeah. Maybe if I Google that, I can find out, right? That's what you do. But we have to look at this because Paul's picture here is an amazing. We have to dig deep and mine the riches of these verses. Because if we put in the hard work to do that, then we see this amazing product that's not possible without it. Justification. It's the first one that Paul gives us here, that we are justified by his grace. Justification, it's a gift of God, a free gift of God, by which we are declared not guilty. This is a legal term. It's saying that you're innocent. We're justified, we're declared innocent, and it's a gift of God. It's given to us. We didn't earn it. We talked about that last week. Quit giving evidence that you don't have to defend yourself. You're justified. Why? As a gift of God. It's free and it's based solely on God's grace and mercy alone. We're justified by his grace as a gift. There's nothing we did. Why? Because it's been manifest apart from the works, apart from the law. But it's justified by his grace as a gift. But what we need to understand in there is that begins the process of another word that's not listed here, but we need to hear, and that's sanctification. Justified says that we're declared innocent. We're not guilty, and that starts the process of sanctification by which the Spirit works in our life to mold us closer and closer into the image of God, ultimately in death, and we're glorified with Him. And what's amazing about this picture of justification is if you look right above it in, chapter tw- in, in verse 23, we see that we not only all sinned, but that sin did what? It caused us to fall short of the glory. And so when we see that we're justified, declare innocent, not guilty, all of a sudden the sanctification, this growth, this maturation process happens, whereby which little by little increments of the original glory that we lost are being bestowed back on us through the Spirit's work in our life, ultimately regaining that glory when we're with Him in eternity. So justification starts the process of sanctification, which is a growth and maturity, all the while regaining that glory back through the work of the Spirit in our lives. And that's what's so amazing, this start, and it's free. You're justified by His grace as a gift through what? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So redemption, we need to look at this. It's the purchasing of our freedom. This is like a slavery term. All right, and the, the questions from last week, I think it was last week we talked about Hosea and how that represented the gospel. This is what Hosea did. He saw his wife, Gomer. She had gone away. She had left him, lived with multiple other people, had children that were not his own. Literally, he named them, not mine, one of them. Right? And what happened? God said, no, you go purchase. It is a redemption. She was being sold as a slave, and he bought her He redeemed her. And so what we have in redemption is the purchasing of our freedom by Christ or in Christ Jesus because Christ emptied himself. He paid everything that he had. He emptied himself to buy our freedom on the cross. And that's redemption 
that is in Christ Jesus. It's not found anywhere. Our slavery that we have is not paid for. We're not bought out of that in any other manner apart from Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 1 says that the blood of Christ is the, is the price. It was his blood that was the payment. And then the next word we get is one that you probably don't ever focus on, propitiation, right? If you say it fast, you'll mess it up. Trust me, I had to practice because I kept messing it up, right? Propitiation. It's actually a weird word that's probably the most amazing one in the list. And all it is is simply the turning away of God's wrath or the satisfying of God's wrath against sin by means of sacrifice. In the Old Testament, this was used of the mercy seat, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, where the priest would come in, who would pour the blood of the sacrifice over that to atone for the sins. And so what Paul's saying here is that in the Old Testament, those sacrifices were given for that. And then we read in Hebrews that no sin was was covered by the blood of ox and bulls, but now we have Christ being a propitiation, the person or the place where that sacrifice was offered. And so when you look at that idea, you see that the, the propitiation that Christ is is actually what satisfies God's wrath for our sin. That's why this is such an amazing thing. Right? God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to receive by faith. There it is again, by faith, that Jesus' death is the only proper sacrifice because he was like us. He became fully human. He was like us so he could be that sacrifice to atone for our sins because God's wrath was satisfied in being poured out on him for us. Jesus' blood is the means of the propitiation, but it had to be his blood shed in death. And so what happens is sometimes you'll say, well, did he have to die? You're like, why did he have to die? That seems kind of barbaric and, and ancient, right? It's like, what was the point of that? We don't do that anymore. We somehow progressed past that, right? But no, he had to die. The blood had to be shed in his death for God's wrath to be poured out. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. When you see Paul in, in Romans 6, talking about the wages of sin is death, you realize why Christ had to die, because the penalty of sin was death. And so if Christ didn't shed his blood in his death, we're still under our sin. But instead, he was put forth as the propitiation for that, so his wrath, God's wrath was satisfied by his own death on the cross for us. And when you look at the cross through that, that public demonstration you understand why Paul's saying that God can be just in the justifier, like he says in verse 26. That God is just on the cross because he punished sin as it should have been. The wages of sin is death. He punished that. Christ died on the cross for us. He's just. He did what was right. He upheld the law, the moral code that required death for sin. But then also we see this amazing thing that he's the justifier because that's freely offered by faith, which is salvation, right? And I know that's deep and I know it's hard and you're like, man, I don't know, but that should free you. That, those words and that sentence, this, all this right here, this paragraph, this is an amazing thing. Like That's something that you should memorize, that take to heart, that you can often tell yourself that I don't have to do these things. Why? Because Christ was put forward to the propitiation, right? 
It's okay to tell yourself that way because that's what he did. He took God's wrath for you and his wrath was satisfied in Christ so that it wasn't poured on you and then he gave us his righteousness. The technical term on that is this double imputation that, we, that our sin was imputed into Christ and his righteousness was imputed to us. Not because of anything we did, but it's received by faith. And so that goes back to this idea that you don't have to do anything. You have to accept it. You have to believe in the cross. And so when you look at the cross like that, that's what changes you, right? Fear of God's punishment doesn't change your heart. I read a, I read a story about um, uh, someone, that, a pastor that had been called to the hospital middle of the night, some crazy thing, like the, in a small town. So if someone needed a preacher, there's one to call, right? And so they called him to the hospital, and this guy thought he was going to die, and he needed to talk to the preacher, right? And then the preacher gets there. He gets there, and the guy says, never mind. They had read the wrong x-rays, and so we had this little scare that I thought I was going to die, but I don't need you anymore. But see, what that tells you is that fear is not a motivator to change your heart. The fear, it didn't change his heart. Why? Because even if it would have, just that fear of death for that person, they would have kept saying, no, I need you, I need to understand this. But since he wasn't going to die, fear didn't properly change his heart. But what we see is that love does. And when you see someone that does something for you, it changes your heart. You look at something, and that's exactly what Paul is painting when we look at the cross. He's saying, no, that you were justified. You're declared innocent. Not because of something that you did, because it's freely offered in Christ. That he was not only on the cross as your sin, but he was the propitiation. He took and satisfied God's wrath because it was poured out on him for your sin. Because he loved you so much. That's why we can sing love so amazing, right? That's what changes your mind. That's what changes your heart. So if you look at this in reality, you look at the cross as this picture painted, it changes everything for you. It sets your life on a different path because you realize that it doesn't matter that I can't do anything because he did it. Because on the cross we see that God is just and merciful that he's loving and wrathful and that we can be secure in that because of who Christ is. So the way to look at this is the, to realize that, that by your own virtue, if you present your own, by your own virtue, you'll always be a sinner. By your virtue, no matter how virtuous this person is, by their, you're a sinner. But when you believe and you understand the propitiation that's offered in Christ, you realize that by his virtue, you're always righteous. And that's what sets you free. That's what's achieved by Christ. There's nothing you can do. Because on the cross, God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Right? I don't know if you caught that in that song. It's 2 Corinthians 5. That he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we might be the righteousness of God. And then ultimately, we see that it's accepted by faith. Not only is it apart from works, it's achieved by Christ, but it's accepted by faith, and that's where we come in. That we, and really, it's that simple. You believe. By faith in Christ Jesus, you believe that, that he died for your sin as a free gift, but what happens then is we change that. 
is what happens then is that sounds great. If we stop there, it's like, great, that's awesome. But we don't do it that way. We don't, we don't present it that way because so often then we forget that even our faith is given to us by the Spirit. That even the, 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 the ability to believe is given. And that's what Paul said in Romans 2, that it was by faith, the circumcision, it's of the heart, not the physical thing. It's by the Spirit working in our heart that allows us to accept by faith. We didn't just wake up and think, man, Christ is so good. Right? You didn't, you didn't wake up and say, man, he's so good. I don't think I'm going to try to do anything good. I just accept that. You didn't. Because we're too selfish. Right? Because if you said that, then, then I want to talk to you because you're lying, right? Because you don't do that. We don't. Because we're always the hero in our dreams, right? We're always the one that does the best thing. We're always the one that saves the day. At least I am in my dreams, right? I'm the best. And that's how we approach our salvation. We have to accept it by faith, but we have to realize that it's not by us. It's by the Spirit, which is why Paul can say, then what becomes of our boasting? And what he's saying there is there's nothing, right? It's excluded. Why is it excluded? You can't boast because you didn't do anything. You can't point back and say, look what I did, right? I don't know why this always goes back in my mind, but I think of the movie Castaway, right? If you haven't seen it, it's Tom Hanks talking to himself for like three hours, right? This is really what it is. I guess he could say he talks to the volleyball. But, but what does he do, right? He finally makes fire, and then he celebrates himself, right? Look what I've done. And he's like, all oh, this, behold, look what. That's what we do, right? We boast in something that we really, did we, do we really have the ability to boast in that? Not in salvation we don't. Because it's by faith, but the Spirit allows us to believe. It's the Spirit working in our hearts that allows us to believe. So we don't have the ability to boast. We, we can't. You can't take credit for something that you didn't do. You can't point at yourself and say, look what I did, unless you're willing to say, look what I did. I'm a sinner, and I'm condemned. Boast in your sin, but to the point where it's you acknowledging that this is who I am. But thanks be to God because of Jesus Christ. Right? But what happens, even then, we'll take it a step further, is that sometimes we get that way and we understand this idea that I can't boast in the Lord, and we, we apply that to that relationship and nothing else. And so then we become experts at every other thing that we do. And I don't know if you've had those conversations with people that they know everything. I call them toppers. Right? They know everything, and it doesn't matter if you change the subject, they're an expert in that. But how many of us actually do that? I'd say most of us at times. Because what we're doing in that is we're trying to justify ourselves by pointing back to look what we've done, look what we know, look what I've understood. All it is is a matter of justifying yourself when in reality you can't do it. So even if we point at ourselves for everything, we've missed it. You can't boast in anything because we have nothing to offer. Everything that we have has been given to us. There's nothing that we've gained that God hasn't sovereignly appointed in our life. So what can we boast of? We're not. The, the intelligence to understand something was given to you. You get that? And for most of us, it was given to us by the person that created Google to give us the information, right? 
Because half of the stuff that we talk about is just regurgitated from something else, from someone else's intellect that was given to them by God. And it goes back and back and back until ultimately you realize that there's nothing that we have to offer. So there should not be a person that claims to be Christ or a Christian and be arrogant and boastful. It can't happen. That's why Christians can welcome everyone because they realize that no one brings anything. That's why it can be universally cast out even though it's limited in its application. We can't boast. We have nothing to offer. And that kind of goes back, if you want to pull that back into it, it kind of goes back to this, we need to shut up sometimes, right? I've had that in my mind all week. Like, maybe you shouldn't talk there, right? Because a lot of what we do just justifies ourselves. So make us feel better. So make us to realize that we have something to offer when everything that's been given to us has been given to us by Christ. So what then of our boasting? We can't. And then it gets even better because then it says the next thing that we do is say, well, then the law doesn't matter, right? That's the last part that we'll talk about, verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? So does faith counteract the law? Does it invalidate the law? And Paul says, no. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Because the law was upheld in Christ. It still allows us, and it still shows us, still reveals how we're supposed to live. We just have to realize that we can't do that. And so what happens is we have to believe in the blood of Christ on the cross that was shed for us, not by anything that we did, not by any way for us to achieve that or to gain it, but simply because we are freely justified in Christ Jesus. And so if that's you the two things that happen. One is that that there's people that that see that and think, and I have to be a good person. You you take, I have to do something. What you have to do is you have to rest in Christ alone. You have to rest in the cross of Christ that his blood shed for you. Not because you were a good person, not because you deserved it, because he loved you. So if you have people telling you you have to be a good person, then they're not telling you the correct truth. It's not about being a good person, because we're not. It's about Christ's blood shed on the cross for you as a propitiation of God's wrath for your sin. And then the other side of that is you just accept everyone, right? It's either be good, be moralistic, or just love everyone, right? Just love everyone. But it's more than that, right? Because if we see the cross, we, when we look at the cross, we see that God's accepting far more than we ever could try to be. Right? Even the people that say love everyone exclude other people from their love. But on the, Christ, on the cross, we see the best moralistic standard upheld regardless. But we also see the love applied to everyone who all who believe, Right? And so that frees you to live a life. That frees you to understand that God has provided you something that you cannot provide for yourself and it was provided on the cross of Christ when he allowed himself to be nailed to that cross that his blood was shed in his death so that you might live so that his righteousness would be imputed to you because he satisfied the wrath of God by taking on your sin. And that's why our hearts are changed because we see a love so amazing that he would send his only son 
so that we might live. Let's pray. Father God, we, God, we thank you that you loved us so much that you gave us your son. God, that your, that your salvation is not possible by our works, but our justification is freely given in Christ, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. And we thank you that he achieved our justification through his actions on the cross, that we're justified and that your spirit sanctifies us and grows us and matures us, that he has bought and redeemed us by his blood, which is the propitiation of your wrath and the sacrifice required under the law. God, we thank you that we merely have to have faith in your son, Jesus Christ, to accept that salvation and that your spirit gives us that ability. And it's in his name we pray, amen.